Welcome to Ethereal Underground. This is episode 23, and I'm your host, TNT. Well, a lot has happened since the last episode as far as geopolitical events, economic upheaval, and social unrest. That seems to be the norm of the daily, weekly, monthly news cycle. This particular episode is gonna focus on the global economy, what's happening now, especially last several years and what to expect in the near future. The short story is it's not good at all. To be, to be very honest and upfront, what we are facing is very dire or cataclysmic economic forecast. That's just the facts. Here's the situation. Everyone's gonna take a hit. There's a very, very, very small percentage that are gonna profit from a global economic failure and collapse. Wealth will be transferred to them. I don't fit in that category. I know the listening audience, you aren't either. So if we're gonna take a hit, and this is a severe hit, how to minimize the impact can mean the difference between life or death. You know, in a car accident, a similar situation. If there's a car accident, the last, I don't know, two, three, four seconds could make a difference between surviving that accident or dying. If you can minimize the impact or where the impact is on the vehicle and where you end up, with the chaos, with the inertia of the impact, you could perhaps walk away from the accident. If not, the damage could be so severe that you die. Well, and what's coming, the global economic situation, the trillions upon trillions of dollars of debt that can never be managed or paid back any longer, and talk about a global reset in this, devastating financial collapse, a lot simply will not survive. They will die. Those who minimize the impact can survive. So this episode is talking about what can be done to survive. To set the stage, we'll go back, not too long, but September of 2019. So that's before all the chaos started in 2020. September 16th, 
there started to be an issue with SOFR, S-O-F-R, that's the Secured Overnight Financing Rate. The Secured Overnight Financing Rate deals with primary banks. So these are the big, big, big banks, and they have a direct relationship with central banks. So in the United States, that'd be the Federal Reserve. They're the ones that get the money first, and then it's loaned out according to how the system is designed. Now, they quasi are required to meet certain requirements each day as far as having cash reserves, a percentage of cash reserves to cover obligations. And from time to time, if one of these big primary banks doesn't have enough to meet the auditing requirements, they can borrow from another bank to meet the minimums. Now, this might be a short-term loan. Usually it is, like 24 hours. They borrow the money, not for free. There's a slight charge in it, of course, but then they meet the balancing requirements, the, the reserves. Now, for decades and decades, they could borrow overnight, maybe 1% or less. So you might need to borrow funds at a particular given day or week from another bank, you pay that fee, vice versa. There might be weeks where they borrow from you and then you charge that fee, but you know, less than 1%. Well, it had climbed to 2.43% on September 16th. That had just risen 13 basis points from the prior day. On September 17th, however, 2019, the secured overnight financing rate went over 5%. So that was more than 400 basis points by midnight. Huge crisis. The Federal Reserve had to step in, I don't know, one, two in the morning, something like that, to provide liquidity with this spike in the overnight lending among the big banks. And the crisis seemed to be resolved in the immediate sense. Well, when news got out September 18th, you know, 19th, 20th, and subsequent weeks, hey, what happened? What happened September 17th? What was this all about? If you go on the Federal Reserve website, they talk about that time period and they, they say, well, there's two factors that, that led to that where they had to step in very early in the morning, one or two in the morning to bail out the banks. They said one is around that time period, September 16th, quarterly corporate tax payments were due. So there was a draw on banks' liquidities because corporations had to pay their quarterly taxes. The only problem with that is corporate taxes have been around since 1894. That's the year, 1894. So over 130 plus years. And banks were surprised that quarterly corporate payments were due. Really? They've been due on a quarterly basis for over 130 years. 
So all banks should have known it was coming and they should have known how much would have been withdrawn. Second thing, Federal Reserve says $54 billion of long-term treasury debt settlement also came due around that time period. Here's another problem. Equally, 100 plus, 130 plus years, I don't know, longer. There's been no surprise about long-term treasury debt settlement and when it's due. It's not like bankers got into their office that morning and went, oh no, that's due today? So the two excuses on the Federal Reserve aren't excuses. This was well known. Can be forecasted, calculated weeks and months ahead of time. There's no surprises there. This is part of, this is why you're a bank, by the way. It's what you do for a living. If you have your tires rotated at a tire shop and you drive off and the front right wheel comes loose, the car crashes to the ground and the tire wobbles off to the side of the road and there's subsequent car damage and you go back to the tire shop, does the mechanic go, lug nuts? I'm supposed to put lug nuts on the tire after I rotate them? I didn't know that, no one told me that. Who does that, right? There's no excuse. Here's the bottom line. What was the real issue? The primary banks did not trust the fact that loaning money, even for a short 24-hour period, that they would get the money back from the other banks. They didn't trust their fellow bankers. They're all in a white shoe boy club, but they didn't trust that they get their money back 24 hours later. They didn't trust the other bank's collateral because it was all junk and they all knew it. So the Federal Reserve had to step in to save the day and they've been doing so ever since. I wouldn't be surprised if it's at a tune. Forensics gives an indication it could be the tune of 700 billion to a trillion dollars not monthly, not weekly, but possibly daily. I know it's hard to believe, so just dismiss that as entertainment. What we have is financial instability and security worldwide. Yeah, the British pound that plummeted the other day. Now announcements were made that there'd be tax cuts for corporations and individuals, income tax cuts, with hopes of stimulating the economy mid-range and long-term. Well, investors got worried that any type of tax cuts would put the British government in an unsustainable path to manage its debt, even with massaging the figures, trying to make it look as best as possible. 
they have 10% inflation. So the combination of inflation and the tax cuts worried investors about sustainability of this debt and the currency falls 8% 24 hours against the US dollar. Now, Britain and the British pounds, not a third world nation. It's not emerging market. It's one of the old established economies. So for it to have a panic and an 8% drop in 24 hours shows there's major problems already in place and more to come. Now you take the uncertainty of war in Europe and the billions of dollars being funneled into that war, proxy wars, hardware, war equipment being shipped. There doesn't seem to be any indication of scaling back and trying to find agreements and reduce tensions. It's just the other way around. It's increasing, flaming tensions. They want this thing to break out into a world war. Is it to create a war to run cover for the global financial collapse, an excuse to bring a reset? What do you think? How about the Nordstrom 1 and 2 pipelines, mysteriously explosions taking place? Nordstrom 1 was completed around 2011. Nordstrom 2, a year ago. These are natural gas lines that go into Germany and help Europe with their energy needs, natural gas. What's that all about? Is that normal for pipelines to blow up? Two of them at the same time? So a phenomenon of recent is a global flight to safety. So they're running to the US dollar. So the US dollar index, the dollar strengthening and strengthening. Is that a good thing? No, not when it's the world reserve currency gaining such strength. It helps to escalate or increase a massive snowball or avalanche coming down a hill that crushes everything in its path. See, most of the world and nations and the economies have borrowed in US dollars. So if the dollar strengthens like it's been doing, it's more expensive for these nations to pay back their loans. And they need more of their domestic currency to pay back the loan as the dollar rises. We have a global recession. There's so much debt. There isn't any region, Europe, North and South Americas, Asia. There isn't any region that has a healthy economy. There isn't any region that isn't overly indebted. The more debt there is, the more you have to pay that debt off, which means whether it's a nation which gets its money either through printing and then supposedly taxation, or as an individual, you work. For, when you have less disposable income because all your income is going to service debt to pay for the necessities, all the industries that rely on disposable income collapse. So here's an example. If you have a family and 
they want to go on vacation. Some Disneyland type amusement park, or they want to go on a cruise, on a cruise ship. If all your money is going towards rent or your mortgage, utilities, food, and healthcare costs, there isn't any money left over for the vacation at the amusement park or a cruise. There might not be money to attend a movie theater. By the time you purchase the tickets and the soda and popcorn, it's close to $100. So they no longer go to movie theaters. They eat out less, more home-cooked meals. Any industry, such as companies and employees that work at amusement parks, that work for the cruise line, that work at the movie theater, they have less business, layoffs, or they eventually go under, go bankrupt, they go out of business. And then all those employees are now unemployed and need government assistance. They need help with housing, food, healthcare, utility payments. So the government borrows more money for social programs to help these families that are unemployed, but how's the government theoretically supposed to pay back what they borrow by increasing taxes? Well, how are they gonna collect taxes when everyone's unemployed? So eventually as economies spiral out of control, the only ones remaining are rents, mortgage rents, food and utilities followed by healthcare, everything else goes. So no one's buying a new car, no one's going on vacations, no one's buying new clothes, no one's going out to eat or watching movies. They're just trying to stay alive week by week, month by month, making the rent or mortgage house payment, utilities, food, and if they have health insurance. Are they paying that premium, paying deductibles, getting medicine, whatever it might be? There's no money left over for any. Well, a lot of the economy is based on auxiliary industries. So what do you do for a living? If you're in the utility business, if you're in loans for homes, uh, rent, landlord, food, like grocery store, farming, or healthcare, if you're not in those industries, then your chance of being laid off or being out of work is very high. And it gets higher and higher each month that goes by when you have a global recession. And technically we're in a global depression, but when they massage numbers, they only say it's a recession right now. So what does this mean? There is no way to pay back all this debt. It's not sustainable. So when the fiat currencies all collapse, the US dollar will be the last currency to collapse. There's major chaos. So there's food shortages, there's supply chain interruptions. People can't get to work. People can't function, economies uh, collapse. We're very dependent, all of us, on economies and supply chains to be functioning. So people are stressed, you have higher crime, higher violence, uh, 
governments get more desperate, borrow more money, which is adding fuel to the fire. Hyperinflation, you can't afford food anymore, can't afford utilities anymore. Europe's facing that this winter. So society becomes unstable, then governments have to declare martial law, institute curfews, crime goes up, and you have huge problems. Some areas obviously will be worse than others, but there's huge problems. Well, knowing this, and everyone's gonna take a hit, no one's gonna escape. Uh, again, except for maybe a handful, I don't know, three, 15,000 of the super elite wealthy, I'm not talking about them, but 99.9999% of us, we take a hit. How can we survive and not die when this happens? Well, it takes a long time. I started in August, 2007 with news events and knowing where this was headed. I made great changes in my life. I had to switch uh, careers. It entailed uh, going back to school and doing so. I immediately started to reduce my debt and I lowered my lifestyle several notches from middle class to upper lower class. That's hard to do. A lot of people don't want to do that. No vacations, not going out to eat, getting rid of all the newer vehicles, buying older vehicles for cash, paying down credit cards, eliminating credit cards once they were paid off, and running lean, lowering my standard of living, lowering my debt. Took over 10 years in my case, and I wasn't that heavily indebted in the process, but I was married and raising two children, which is expensive, but it took over 10 years to get to the point where I am. And it's important to be out of debt and run, running lean and reducing your overhead to survive during times of hyperinflation and times of scarcity. Also where you live, if there's civil unrest and people are desperate, what areas do you think will fare better than others when society is so stressed out and crime increases because of desperation? What about self-sufficiency and having gardens, securing certain supplies, being able to have reserves when needed. During this process, you start to have interruption in utilities, electrical grids, or natural gas availability, propane, things of that nature. So what contingencies are there if power goes out one or two days at a time before it's restored? Or you can only get a fourth of propane or natural gas that you used to get. And that won't last all winter. So what do you do? What strategies have you adopted to keep warm in cold regions? Or some type of air conditioning if you're in desert regions and it gets to be 100, 111 degrees. Very difficult to survive without air conditioning in those temperatures. Well, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, if 
an individual only focused on the physical part of the human experience because there's two there's a spiritual part of human existence and the physical if people are just fixated on the physical the plastic and leather a world of hurt is coming because that reality of plastic and leather all those rugs are going to be pulled out from underneath all of us and if you identify your purpose in life is what you do for a living, the career you have, the type of home, the car you drive, the school that you went to or the school your kids currently go to, the zip code, that you, when that is all gone, do you still have the emotional integrity and strength to want to live and want to continue? Or are you helpless, hopeless, feel that you've lost everything and then suicide rates skyrocket. If you have developed a spiritual aspect as the physical part of our existence declines and gets decimated and becomes scarce at best, what keeps you from depression, anxiety, possibly suicide thoughts is knowing spiritually what this is all about. Why were we here in the first place? What happens after death? Is there gonna be a reality where we don't have such inequities, imbalances, injustices? That's what keeps you solid in mind, keeps you calm, cool, collective, it gives you direction, it gives you stability, it gives you understanding. You can't get that strictly in the physical. Physical doesn't address or give you those foundations. It's the spiritual side of life that does. So I've always hammered home on videos, interviews, podcasts, spiritual priority. What is spiritual truth? Where do you go for accurate information? There's a lot of misinformation out there, just like on any topic. Where do you go to get that? When should you start? The answer was you should be doing it your entire life. Can't develop it in two or six months. It's a lifelong endeavor, but you still need to start. And then how much energy do you devote to it? Do you devote more energy for the spiritual understanding, study, and finding like-minded people and having those discussions? Do you spend more time and energy in that or trying to maintain the physical or prepare in a physical sense. Not that my opinion matters, but I would, in what I'm doing, I feel that more time and energy needs to be in the spiritual, not the physical. Because it's very important that inevitably when death comes, what's the condition of death? And is there a hope for life after death? If so, what does it look like? Do you have to qualify for it? Is it automatic? Who or what's involved in that? Where or what would that reality be? Is there any documentation or information that can support those theories? Or is it just kind of a vague fog people's opinions or imagination. There's a lot to consider. So these are very interesting times. It's not 
looking good as far as the physical, the supply chain interruption and energy costs or energy availability, food, all this, fertilizer, transporting food, the energy of food factories to process wheat and corn and turn it into edible products, flours and paste, breads, you know, all, all, all that's in jeopardy. So um, it's scary. There's no way around that. But we have to address it, not ignore it. And also look towards the spiritual to get us through the tough times that are coming. And then try to figure out what does that look like? That is a very tough subject. Where to go for spiritual truths, spiritual encouragement, insight, and accuracy. I'm not going to address it in this episode. That's hard enough to do in even small private discussions, <laughs> let alone uh, on a podcast. But I hope you enjoyed this. And um, we'll see what happens by the time we have the next episode. Take care.